Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Sporting Voices podcast with me, Steve Hall. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined this week by Jim Proudfoot, commentator, football commentator, mainly with Talk Sport. Jim, I think that's fair to say, um, as well as numerous other outlets. I'm sure when people hear you speak, they'll recognise your voice immediately. Um, we've just been speaking off a little bit there, Jim. It, it, we are getting back to a little bit of normality. Is that is that how you're finding things as well? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very different still. Um, I, I think the start of the new season is in many ways more frustrating that there aren't fans in. I, I, don't get me wrong, the decision is absolutely 100% correct and I, I'm, I'm hoping uh, that we'll soon be at a stage where we have got people back in the grounds, but it's got to be when uh, it is safe for everybody to be back. But I think it's it sort of hit us a little bit harder, really, that we're starting a new season and we're still playing behind closed doors. Hopefully, uh, we'll be at a, at a point in time when when all the fans are back just in a few weeks' time. Absolutely. And on this show, Jim, I like to discuss like the, the media side of, of, the, of the sporting world. So people who are writers, commentators, broadcasters, journalists, etc., and how they go out there with their jobs and things. And while we're on this conversation of, of no fans, we might as well, let's start there then, Jim. Um, how different and difficult does that make your job, especially when you're in... I know you were at the former Arsenal game, I'm right in saying. Um, you were there yeah. at, at an empty stadium. Um, does that make your job a, a little bit more difficult? Because at times, I, I would imagine that you could let the crowd just make some, a little bit of noise and fill the air or you know get the atmosphere of the ground. But when it's completely empty and obviously there's no emotion around you, does that make your job slightly more difficult? Because I imagine it would. Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, it depends to a certain extent whether you're doing TV or radio commentary. Um, I, I did that game for Fulham for TV. Yeah. Uh, and funnily enough, the setup's very different because the the, uh, the stand there has been uh, knocked down. I'm sure that the people are aware that they're, they're redoing the Riverside uh, stand at Craven Cottage. And the temporary gantry they built this was right over the touchline. So literally three, four feet away, which meant that when the players were coming, playing down that side, um, it was it was very strange because you're very conscious that everything that you said could be heard by the players and also the substitutes that were warming up uh, on the touchline right beneath us. But it also meant that you were far removed from the little noise that there is in the stadium. Um, so ordinarily, particularly if you're doing radio, you'll be in, in the, the press box as normal. So there is a little bit of a hubbub. I mean, nothing like what it normally is, but you know, maybe one or 2%, something like that. But there is a little bit of noise. But if you're in a gantry that's far removed, that makes it much stranger. Now, we have the option, when, we, when we're commentating on a game, we can listen to um, no noise, so just the ambience, um, stadium noise, or you can listen to the FIFA effects. The, um, so we, effectively, we've got the, the, the same decision that people watching at home have. Uh, and invariably, I will just listen to, I prefer the nothingness. But it was so quiet there at Fulham that for the first time, it was, I need to have something because I just feel as though uh, I'm, I'm literally sat in my bedroom doing this game. Well, that was the impression that I had. So it was, I had to sort of turn the artificial crowd noise up. And then it's okay. And you get used to it. It, it. I suppose it's like anything else. The first game that I did coming back out of lockdown was the, the very first one in the Premier League, the Villa against Sheffield United match, um, where there was the, the controversial moment for the, the goal line technology failing. Uh, and that was strange. So that was my first experience of commentating in a match behind closed doors. And it is so different 
but yeah, I, I guess it's like anything else. It soon becomes the new norm, and you know, thirty games in, working like that, sort of getting getting used to it. But it's it's not the same. It, it isn't the same at all without the fans being there. No, I'm hope, fingers crossed. We, it might not be too long, well, but uh, um, no one knows at this stage. Um, so before we move on, let's go. I want to leave that man go back early to the beginning. Um, I spoke to a few commentators over the course of of doing this show. Now I've spoke to John Gwynn and Derek Ray and, and, and numerous others, and a few of them said that they never really knew that they wanted to be commentators. They just knew they wanted to work in media, and then it kind of evolved into that. Is that a similar path to you? Or can you remember clearly from whatever age, whether it's young or university, thinking I want to be a commentator? Um, yeah, it all happened very quickly for me. I'd always had an interest in radio and, 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 and uh, radio more than television. I'd listened to a lot of radio when I was growing up in the Midlands. Um, local radio was fantastically strong, uh, had a great identity um, and certainly the sports coverage. And back in those days, there was very little live football on local radio um in that part of the world certainly but they they had passionate sports coverage and reports and and i loved it but it wasn't until i went to university that it it really occurred to me that broadcasting could be something that i would do for a career uh i I, I embarked on an economics degree um and was was hoping for a, a job i mean i quite like maths and that was what i was best at at school i suppose so i was sort of a, a job with figures or something like that but i hadn't really any idea what i wanted to do i did go though knowing that i wanted to have a, a look at university radio and that would be something that i would be doing in my spare time so i'm six weeks into this degree course and i've already embarked on the university radio and i'm enjoying it so much uh, that i've I quickly realised that an economics degree is completely over my head and I've got no chance whatsoever of being to get one. But I could leave university with a career nevertheless uh, if I sort of put all my efforts into into the university radio station, which was a great funding. And I was very fortunate. There were some really good people there at the time. Uh, so in my year at university, Russell Fuller, who's the, the BBC's tennis correspondent, um, we were there together. Uh, James Pierce was in a year above, who was the BBC sports news correspondent for a long time. Uh, there have been um, some very notable DJs as well. Tony Horn, who people might know as a breakfast show host up and down the country for a good few years, was there at the same time as well. So it was a great grounding. And I, and I realised very quickly, having worked... Um, as a, as a poor DJ, but also as um, part of the sports team there, but that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I ended up, I, I came out of my course early, which is a euphemistic way of saying I failed some exams. I went to, <laughs> I went then to broadcast journalism college and I did a, a journalism diploma at Falmouth in Cornwall, uh, which I loved. And uh, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to, to be in the industry in some parts ever since, but so the answer to your question, growing up, no, I didn't know that I wanted to be a commentator. But as soon as I started doing any work whatsoever in, in university radio, I knew within uh, a matter of days and weeks that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and yeah, and sure. then I, I had to wait, mind. I didn't, I, I suppose I did my first reporting on a game when I was, I suppose I just turned 19. I just turned 18. Um, but I didn't do my first commentary for a good three three years or so after that. So it took a little bit of time to sort of develop from being a, a reporter to a commentator. Yeah, I was about to say that's the, that's the transition that some people, some others make as well, um, report and then into commentary. And I, I was thinking before, um, actually I've got my notes before I come on, one of the questions I was desperate to ask you was, 
how, how do you do that transition? Because obviously you go from maybe someone who is reporting news or you might be, you know, 30 seconds to then all of a sudden you're on talks, but you could be talking for two, three hours at a time. How did you, you know, make that transition from a guy who, again, you are just reporting news and facts to commentating? Was that, are they completely different or, or are there some similarities in there that you can work around? Um, I suppose there's some similarities. I didn't find it as difficult, maybe, as uh, I think, and, and, and I don't know what, what other people would say. It's a great question. I don't know whether other people would say that it, it was difficult to getting used to, um, and I wouldn't want to listen to any of my early commentaries at all. I think that they would be painful. Um, but... It was just, yeah, I suppose in many ways, the discipline of reporting is, it, it probably is, is more disciplined um, uh, and, and, a, and a harder skill set. If, if you've had a lot of things that have happened to be able to have the skill to condense that into 30 seconds. And, and you know, I came up very much through independent local radio where it was a great time discipline and, and you didn't have very long to do anything. And so that was, that was also a very good grounding when you're then commentating and you've got a little bit more time, maybe in some ways it might be a little bit easier, uh, but it is just the, the finding the ability to sort of having to keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. Um, I, I, I went to, to Capital Radio. It was my first job in sport full time. Um, and I went there in 1994. And I think I struggled when I first went there. I don't think there's much doubt about that. But it was, a, you know, maybe a few months in. Jonathan Pierce, who was the boss, sat me down one day and said, right, finally, the penny has dropped. I don't know what it is. I did a game up in uh, an England under 21 game, I think, in Newcastle. And he said, right, that's it. You've got it now. Uh, but it had taken it had taken a few months to sort of develop to get to the stage where it was the um, probably the, the, the more fluent kind of commentary uh, that everybody else on the station was developing. So it, it probably maybe I didn't think about it enough the whole process of you know what it what it takes, but it, it did take a, a bit of time to develop undoubtedly. But it it wasn't co- consciously it wasn't I didn't find it a difficult step to take. No, like I say, Jonathan, funny enough, Jonathan Pierce, again, I've spoken to a few commentators. His name has come up a lot, actually, with various other people. I was speaking to Mark Scott recently on a show who credited Jonathan with helping him. He's on now those matches a day and he helped Jonathan yeah. as well. Um, is he someone who was a big influence for you? Because he, he certainly was for Mark. He said, you know, he puts a lot of his success down to him and that he gave him a chance, he gave him some guidance. And, and it sounds like you've followed a similar footstep as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, for two reasons. Firstly, uh, I, I, uh, I went to, to Capital uh, in 1994 uh, as the, the junior in the sports department. You were given opportunities. You were thrown into the deep end. That was the, the ethos there. And, it, you know, sometimes that was a great thing. Sometimes it wasn't. Um, but you'd learn from your mistakes and he certainly would tell you uh, what was good and what was bad. Uh, but he was... In my opinion, I don't think there's too much doubt. Others might argue, but I think he's the most groundbreaking broad uh, radio commentator because he was so completely different to anything that had come before. And um, you, you might say that that high octane style that he had in the the early to mid nineties is now a little bit dated, but at the time it was groundbreaking uh, and it was far reaching and it allowed. Uh, I think a different type of commentator to develop um, that was unashamedly passionate about what they were watching. Um, now, I know it's not to everybody's taste. Um, and 
I, I would always say to any commentator coming through, asking for advice, don't try and be anybody else. But when we were working there, that was the house style. And so I think a few of us developed, you know, the same sort of way. And that was, you know, another great breeding ground at the time there. Steve Wilson was one of the other commentators, Dave Clark, the, you know, a man who I had the utmost admiration for, uh, was there as part of the sports team as well. And, you know, we all sort of ended up doing our different things. But I think that we would all look back and say that the influence of Jonathan was great. Um, and, you know, he was um, one of a kind. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he could be, at times, he could be a tough guy to work for. Uh, but uh, he, he was uh, a great commentator, still is a great commentator and a, and a great bloke. And he's, uh, you know, I've got no end of admiration for him uh, as a man, as a broadcaster and, you know, no end of thanks for what he's been able to do for me. I'll have to uh, give him a call, see if he fancies coming along as well. Give me some of his time. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few stories to be told. Uh, if you don't mind, you're going to just transition slightly forward, well, a lot forward now. Um, Mm-hmm. Let's say when I listen to talk sports, I'll be honest, your voice is what I think of straight away. Especially if I'm listening to live matches, I do a lot of driving over weekends, and quite often I am. You're, you're the voice who's on in my car or, or whatever. Um, that to me, again, of all the commentary jobs or you know, all comedies I've spoken to, yours to me sounds like the most difficult job because not only are you commentating on games, you're also cutting away to other games. You're you might have a read to do. There's a lot going on. It seems like it's so fast paced. Is that something that you are very much? Is that would you agree with that? It, it, it sounds like there's. It isn't you just commentating on football because you're also kind of half presenting the show as well. You might be cutting away and stuff. It, is it quite as action packed as I'm making it out in my head? Um, yes, but it's uh, again because of the way that I came into it through ILR. I think that that is possibly something that comes a little bit easier. Um, to, to me than it, than it might have done some others because that's how I've worked all my sort of broadcasting life really on radio um, and you know in the games that I did in London and then I worked on the South Coast and in Birmingham as well uh, we would always have reporters elsewhere it is busy in terms of um, the, the amount of stuff we have to get away and there's there is so much emphasis these days when uh, the industry is so wholly dependent on ratings you've got to mention the name of the station a lot you have to mention um, increasingly your own name and the name of who you're working with a lot uh, for people that are switching on all the time of course you've got to mention the score all the time you've always got to throw ahead to excuse me the games that are coming up and whilst you're doing all of that and conscious of, you know, the, 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 the advertisers that you also have to mention, you've also got to say once in a while where the ball is and what's actually going on on the pitch. And it can, so it can be quite difficult uh, at times. We're helping now. Um, and this was, you know, was never something that we had in local radio. But when I'm working for TalkSport, we've got some um, fantastic producers with you on site. So they're always giving you a nudge. I don't feel as though I have to concentrate so much on what I've got to do, because I know that if I've forgotten to do something, I've got somebody that can tell me, you need to do this. You need to do a sponsor credit. You need to um, um, say what's coming up. So you've, you've always got people that are helping you out. And that does make it a lot easier when you have the sort of the on-site production. And we're very fortunate of the quality of people that we've got doing doing that job um, but yeah it, it, again it's it's what you get used to doing and and um, I think it would be difficult if I'd started in 
done 15 years in telly and then gone into radio, it would have been a much more difficult switch, I think. But uh, having you know, done it the other way around, it, it's, it's sort of that part of it is second nature. Yeah, for sure. He, he says, but I'm doing a game tomorrow where I'll probably foul it all up. And so if you have the same question on Wednesday, it might be something very different. No, like I say, I just, I find it fascinating. Like, again, it's something, I've, I've said this to guests in the past, it's the way I listen to it. Is I, I, Obviously, I'm interested in what the score is of the match, but I'm also from the production side and the media side. It, it just sounds like mm-hmm. it is so, so hectic compared to, for example, if like you mentioned, you, you might be doing TV commentary the other day and it's a bit more slower paced, then you can have a couple of breaths and stuff. It, it does sound like it is very action-packed, is it? Is there, a, is there a part of, of sometimes when you're in a TV game where you think, ah, this is this is a bit easier, a bit more relaxing? Is that, does that come up? Is that something that you're conscious of every now and then? Do you know, I find I find TV commentary harder than radio commentary because okay. you, um, the the way that I always compare them. If you're having a bad day at work and you're doing a radio commentary, all you got to do is say who's got the ball and where it is on the pitch, and you can get away with that. Well, those are the things you can't say where the ball is on the pitch on TV because everybody can see where it is. So that's sort of a, a no-no. And you have to, you kind of have to make the words count a little bit more. That sounds as though I'm demeaning radio commentary. I'm not in the slightest because um, to do a radio commentary well, clearly you've still got to be able to produce the exact, exactly the right phrase at the right time. But you can get away with a little bit more on radio. You... Um, your player identification, you can get away with it being 97, 98% accurate. And nobody will ever know. And, you know, there certainly have been games where I've maybe got away with it being a lot, lot less than that. Um, on TV, you can't. You've got, to get, you've got to get everything right. And I think that there's a balance on TV as well that is difficult to find. On radio, you are talking all the time. And you have to vary your tempo and you've got to vary your, your dynamics, of, of course, with what is going on on the pitch. But having said that, uh, on, radio, on TV, you have to, by and large, work out when to let it breathe. And I think that that is a, a real skill. And it's a real skill to, for, for your producer as well, to allow the commentator just to have time to breathe and recognize that if nothing is said for 30 seconds that actually can be a really effective tool as opposed to just the commentator having nothing to say everybody will always go back to the one commentator when you talk about sort of the minimalistic art to it and that's Richie Benno um, and who famously did one spell on on tv where he was on for 20 minutes and all he said was um he, he cued, I think it was the next commentator. He didn't say anything more than that because he felt that he had nothing to say that could add to the pictures. Now, that's that's brave. That that is brave. But but also that was what marked him out as being such a phenomenally gifted commentator that he recognised that ability and he didn't feel under pressure to try and say things when he, when he couldn't add. So to to have and knowing that that is how to do it. But being able to do it are two completely different things. It, it just takes an awful lot of bravery to sit there with a microphone in your hand and say nothing. Um, yeah. But, you know, there, there is a real skill to it. I suppose when you get to a certain level of, like you say, of comedy, like Richie Benner, where it's like the iconic, then maybe you can just kind of, you can do that where, like you say, if, you, if you're coming up in media, maybe you feel like you've got to impose yourself. Yeah, on the game yeah. Or is that, is that fair? Um, 
Moving on, obviously, since you came back to talk, but Jim, you've been involved in some major tournaments, World Cups, European Championships and stuff. As fans and supporters of these games, like we love World Cups because of just what they are and the emotion to it. Is it difficult? Is it different being when you're working on them compared to being a fan? Because obviously, although I imagine you're England to win, you can't be, you know, you can't be throwing pints across like like we saw when uh, when England got to <laughs> sense, you know England got to semi final and the fans up and down the nation were, were, were crazy. It, is is it a little bit more? You're a step away from it, whereas some people actually get World Cup fever. Is that is that fair to say that you are you are a little bit more, even though you're there watching every game, emotionally you're a little bit less attached than perhaps, like I say, people who are in fan parks launching beer over each other's heads. Yes, it's it's different. You are you are a step away from it. I think you're only a step away from it, um, because being there is an immense privilege. It's the biggest privilege of my career that I have been uh, in a position to watch England in major tournaments for um, twenty years. Uh, it, it's been fantastic. I love it, and that's those the, those major tournaments are the highlight for me of the four-year cycle. Uh, it's what I look forward to most. Uh, I, I'm, you know, immensely lucky that I get up every morning and look forward to going to work. But those summers, the even-year summers, are the best. That they're phenomenal. You see parts of the world that you would never normally see, and you're watching games that you know that everybody around the world is watching, and they've got an emotional investment, and you are there firsthand. But the difference, I guess. Uh, is that, as you say, England are having this phenomenal run to a World Cup semi-final a couple of years ago, and you get caught up in it for being there, but you can't, you, you know what's going on back home, but you're not experiencing it in the same way that everybody else is experiencing it, because you can't sit and watch a game and enjoy the game in the same way that, you know, my, my sons can, um, sitting watching it in a pub. Um, so, so it is. It is different. Now, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it. Uh, I'm, I'm more. I'm more than happy not to. You know, not to end up getting beer tipped over my head. But, 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 but being there, that's that's absolutely fine. But it. But it is different. And you are. You are a step removed. I think on Talk Sport, we're given the license with England particularly uh, to fully convey the passion uh, within limits. But to fully convey the passion and to be unashamed, providing that there is a, a journalistic sense and there is a reality to the commentary, we can get excited when England are doing well. There's no doubt about that. You can't, you can't be a fan with a microphone in, in so much as you, you have to be objective about what is going on. The criticism has to be fair and warranted. And the euphoria similarly has to be realistic euphoria. Uh, and I think that um, we, we, can't, we can't quite have the immense highs and lows uh, that, that I, I would have as an England fan watching. Um, but nevertheless, we on TalkSport, we are given the license to, you know, really get into it. And, you know, that probably we think back to the... The Columbia penalty shootout was um, was an, an occasion where it was very difficult to try and keep, you know, level-headed, and you know the excitement you get carried away with it. And, and what we, we would be like if we ever got to a major final? I'm hoping, you know, Touchwood, one day we will. Um, what that would be like, I don't know. 
I don't, I, I don't know what it would be like to commentate on England in a World Cup final and England winning a major tournament. I, I, I think that that would be very tough uh, because of all the emotional investment that has gone into it. Um, so you are, you are a little bit removed, um, but you, you're still enjoying it, but it's just in a very slightly, subtly different kind of way. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I listened to you speak there. Is that something that differs perhaps when you are doing international football than maybe a Premier League weekend? Is that you can slightly get a little bit more emotionally involved with England because you're not going, you're not going to offend anybody really. If you're giving a little bit of emotion towards England v Colombia, whereas, for example, Fulham Arsenal, there will be fans of both teams listening, so you've got to be a bit more neutral. Is that is that is that fair to say? Is that something? Yeah. You have to, yeah. You know, absolutely, absolutely hit the nail on the head. Um, when you're doing, you're doing England or a home nation, indeed, for the talk sport, I, th- I think that um, you can, you still can't use the word we, and you, but you can be partisan because, you know, you, you're knowing that the, the, the overwhelming majority of the audience that are listening to you are wanting the same thing, you know, that we are privately wanting. I think to a certain extent, you can be like that if it's an English team in a European competition. You can be uh, very much uh, providing the club playing foreign opposition in Champions League final or something where you have to play it down the middle. But I think that um, if, if you are doing a, a Liverpool game in Europe or, you know, or a Wolves game in Europe, as I, as I did the, the other week, then I think you can be very much looking at it from that angle. But if I'm doing the same game for a world feed on television, no, you have to play completely differently and you have to play it down the middle because you will have or could potentially have supporters. Even though I'm doing it in English, you could potentially have supporters of both teams because of the worldwide audience. So, yeah, it's something that you have to sort of just consider really it becomes second nature after a while but you, it's something that you have to consider when you're sort of thinking about the approach to the game yeah i can imagine so i mean i'd, I'd find it difficult commentating on liverpool in the champions league final for example and, and being as calm as i heard you for example even even on that england columbia game where you, you could tell there was a bit of emotion in the voices but you you are i mean much more professional media i'll give you that um before that, <laughs> i wouldn't <laughs> say that Maybe not with getting Zoom working, but other than that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before I got let you go, I often end time end with the. You mentioned before about giving advice to people in commentary, and you did say, you know, be yourself, don't try and copy anyone else. And I think that's actually that's a theme that's ran through when I spoke to various commentary commentators, rather. So it sounds like that's. Is there anything else that you would give to anyone who is listening to this, perhaps who wants to be a commentator or break into broadcast media? Are there any other little tidbits that you think? are worth passing along as these people start their journey that you, you've been on for 20 odd years now? Uh, I, would, I would say that it's belief is such an important thing. I had plenty of belief when I was um, a youngster starting off. Maybe uh, a lot of that was naivety. Um, rightly or wrongly, it never occurred to me, once I decided that I wanted to do it, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to do it. Now, that... Saying that now as a 47-year-old sounds really big-headed and it's not meant to. As I say, it was naivety, but that belief undoubtedly helped me. You get 10 years down the journey and you can see all the potential pitfalls. You can appreciate the immense uh, amounts of luck that you have had in various different ways uh, on the journey. And you appreciate that there are probably when you're my age, that there are an awful lot of ways that it could go wrong. It could have gone wrong. But that's what I would say to anybody. Football is a growth industry. The media is a strange industry at the moment, but uh, is developing. 
Uh, it is very different from how it was when I, when I got into it 20, 25 years ago. But I believe that in 20 years' time, in 40 years' time, there will be a need for football commentators. So if you want to do it, believe that it can be you because it's going to be somebody. So make it you. Go out, um, have, have a, a fantastic work ethic. is extraordinarily important because there are a lot of people who are very talented you can stand apart by I, I think having a, a good work ethic I can't name a single commentator uh, who doesn't work hard uh, for a living in terms of the amount of research that they do um, the amount of hours that they will spend on motorways um, it is not an arduous job as so many are but I do believe that it is a, a job in which you, you you can feel justified in taking home your wage at the, at the end of the week. Um, so you're going to have to work hard, knock on a lot of doors. Rejection can often be a good thing. Um, and, and if these all sound pretty trite, I can give you an example of, I lost my job the, the day before my 21st birthday, I was working for club call, um, which, uh, if you're not aware of Club Call, it was in the days pre-internet. When I started working, I'd never seen a mobile phone and, and I didn't see the internet for the first five or six years that I was um, I was working, which shows my age. But Club Call was an 0898 number that you could phone up. It cost you 50 pence a minute and you would get long rambling updates as to exactly what was going on at your club. I worked for them. That was my first full-time job and I lost it. And it was the best thing that could have happened because in some ways it was in the comfort zone. It forced me to, to write letters really uh, to every radio station in the country applying for work. And I just got lucky that somebody needed a, uh, a news journalist who could do a bit of sport. And I, I moved up to the Northeast and worked with John Murray at TFM in Middlesbrough uh, and, you know, working for somebody as classy as him uh, as a man and as a broadcaster was a great education and that came from uh, you know a, a great way into the industry came from uh, a moment of despair when I've been made redundant all within the space of three weeks so you never know you know rejections can be a really good thing but you've got to have belief in yourself I mentioned earlier don't try and be the next Jonathan Pierce, because you will be an inferior Jonathan Pierce. The next John Murray. John Murray is very good at being John Murray. You need to be the best version of yourself. Um, but have the belief that you can do it. There are plenty of outlets. There's absolutely no reason why you won't make it. So just self-belief is so important. Yeah, brilliant. I think that's great advice, Jim. I'll let you go there. I'll leave it there. I don't want to take too much more of your time. So thank you very much for your time. It's very much appreciated. Uh, and that, again, that advice I'm sure will do wonders for some people who are, who are listening to this now and um, for everyone listening at home that has been the latest edition of the sporting voices podcast and i'll be back in the near future with another famous voice from the world of sports media until then goodbye